0: Open up your Bibles to Jude, if you would, as we continue our study there. We look today at verses 3 and 4. Jude, verses 3 and 4. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, which is the name of our outline, common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we consider our text, Father, I just pray you'd remove all distractions, that you'd equip our hearts to uh, handle that which you've given us, the burden or the load that you have for us this day. Give us understanding, be merciful unto us, and increase our faith, Lord, as we continue to travel through this book. Reveal unto us, Father, the dangers, the warnings that you have for us, and help us to be faithful enough to follow. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, a word in um, Bible study and, and developing sermons that most use, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, is hermeneutics. Uh, and this is really the establishing of a book. Who wrote it? Where did they write it? Who were they writing to? When did they write it? What was the purpose of the writing? And so on and so forth. I didn't present that to you when we went through verse 1 and 2. This was the salutation of the book. But I want to give it to you now because the writer himself speaks directly of writing. So the only part of the, the, the hermeneutic setup that we've gone over so far is who the writer likely is but none of those other details have we discussed yet. So that's really uh, the foundation of this outline is laying the groundwork for who he's writing to, the purpose, and so on and so forth. Now, these th- two verses that we're looking at today, we have read these quite a bit, but focusing on the common salvation part, uh, and I'll likely get caught up in the, uh, in the parts that I usually get caught up in anyhow, the lasciviousness of it all and everything, uh, but I want to really focus on the common salvation, what he's writing about. The details of this letter that we might find most important to us. The first thing we want to look at is who this letter was for. We, today in 2023, as we read a book in the Bible, we say, Jude. This book's named after its writer, Jude. And it's written as one of the 66 books, and it's written for the reader. But these are letters that these men wrote to to a specific audience at that time. Inspired divinely by the Holy Spirit with their words, God knew his intent for their writing, but their specific purpose for writing was, one, because the burden of God was on them to do so, and two, for a specific audience. Typically, the writers in the New Testament tell us who they're writing to. Uh, Dr. Luke tells us of uh, of his audience, the person he's writing those letters to, and there are commentators that, that break down what that name means and who he actually means might have been writing to, but if you look at the beginning of Luke's account of the gospel, as well as the beginning of Acts, he reveals there the name of the person that he's writing to. So keep that in mind as Paul writes, it's pretty easy to break down his letters because he tends to spell it out in the very first couple of verses. He thinks them and then he says, this is who I'm writing to. And Paul's probably where man got the idea of hermeneutics to begin with because Paul usually early in his letters will tell us why He's writing. Uh, He he doesn't hide that very often. But what we have from Jude here, and the very first thing we're going to look at, as I said, is who the letter is for. Our previous verses, verse 1 and 2, prove that he's writing to born-again Christians. He's not writing to the whole world. And uh, while we're on the subject, not the whole world will be saved. Not something you're going to hear in every pulpit this morning, but it's the truth of God's word. And who Jude is writing to here is not just born-again Christians, but truly born-again Christians who, like even today, are experiencing persecution. If you call yourself a born-again Christian and you do not experience persecution, you are either a light under a bushel that is hidden and others don't know you're a Christian, or you yourself are wrong and you are not a Christian. The man hates light, prefers darkness. We saw that in John 3. And he will seek to squash you. The accuser stands daily, as we've said over the recent weeks, ready to accuse you before God the Father himself. But if he's not, then you're not elect. Then you are a threat to his domain, to his goals. Uh, You're just another block he's building his empire upon. We do not have a specific church listed here. Jude doesn't say that he's writing to the church in Corinth or the church in Philippi or the uh, the church in Ephesus. We just noted he's writing to born-again Christians. And it likely might be because of the scattering that was a result of the persecution that began with Saul before he was converted on Damascus Road that scattered the churches out of Jerusalem. And again, while we're on that subject, it was... The purpose of God because he told them to go forth in the commission to all nations teaching and preaching and expounding upon what he had done and baptizing in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit they were commanded to go not just to the edges of Jerusalem but to all the world when they they weren't doing so something else was brought into play to force them to to scatter them to get them out so here in 2023 Many of us have elevated ourselves to a point where we have a pretty significant buffer that keeps us from ever having to go anywhere, you know, DoorDash and whatever it might be. But if God's purpose for you today is to go and share the gospel and you defy him, be careful. Be careful. This is a God who created all things. This is a God who controls all things. You dare defy him? If you are his and not bastards, he will rein you in. He will have for you to do his work. We might not like what that looks like when we are forced or compelled to go into it, persecuted out of our homes because we never went out willingly when he commanded for us to do so. So it's likely that Jude is writing to these Christians who have been scattered. And it's also likely that uh, they were collectively meeting and worshiping together as they could in each other's homes. When a letter like this would come through the community... They would get together and share it and read it and try to encourage one another with the writings of the brother who had written the letter Uh, probably way more letters are being written than what we have in the new testament we know that there's there's evidences of maybe three letters to corinth for an example from paul but what the lord has for us are these specific letters and i just want you to understand the purpose of that letter it would have been carried it would have been uh, distributed from household to household or whatever worship gatherings there would have been at the time as they were again scattered and and many of them in fear of further persecution if they revealed themselves secondly we want to understand how the letter was written jude will cover this a lot but i want to point it out now before we get into too many other verses he's writing to them out of love He's not writing to them out of fear. Uh, Again, if his audience is an audience of Christians persecuted and scattered, chased from their homes, remember Saul was persecuting both husbands, wives, men, women, locking them up, children as well, to squash out the way before he was born again. So if he's writing to this group of people, it might make sense for us for him to write out of fear. I mean... I'm sure it's difficult, but try to go to Barnes & Noble sometime if you can stomach it and see if they have any books uh, on post-apocalyptic events. Any at all. Any fiction or non-fiction books that talk about an earth and what life is like after a very large traumatic event of any kind. There's a lot, is there not? It seems to be on the hearts and minds of many people. So we could say that it would make a lot of sense for Jude to write and say, man, this stinks, y'all. What we're going through right now, it it should be great if y'all had a P.O. box, if y'all just had a church building, but you don't because these times are pretty miserable. We don't see that in Jude's letter. He writes them out of love. Now how, how, we're going to deal with it, but how are they receiving this? This letter's not coming to a PO box or a church building. It's coming through a probably an underground delivery system of sorts, a, a, a borrowed from the Persians, a type of horseback postal delivery, but, but also kind of black market, right? Like if everybody knew about it, then they'd all be found and discovered. So as they're reading this, and he's writing of love, he's writing admonition, he's, he's encouraging them, but he's also warning them, but his intention, his place from writing is of love. And they're receiving this letter, not of a, of a mutual concern for how bad things are, which, sadly, most of my love letters that come from the pulpit are, yeah, these times are hard. Our, our president's a joke. Our nation is a laughingstock. And we embrace every sin that we should be abhorring. Well, that's not an encouragement, is it? It's a, it's a state of events. Uh, it's, it's factual But does it do you any benefit? Jude's not writing from a place of, let's get together and talk about how much it stinks. That kind of talking will lead you to the pub, not to God. That kind of talking will lead you to the next uh, manic depressive addiction that you can get to to take your mind off of what you're going through. And that's not how the Holy Spirit led Jude to write. He uses the word beloved here, which is used three times in total in this very short book of 25 verses. We see it here in our text again in verse 17 and verse 20. So the audience are considered by the writer his beloved. We see his love conveyed in his words. Listen to a few of the things he says. I gave all diligence to write unto you. You know, If I were to write a, a love letter to my wife, and it's been far too long since I have, that's probably something I'd want to put in the beginning. I gave all diligence. I did this on purpose. I had to discipline myself to make sure to write this letter. I gave all attention, all thought, all focus to this letter. Man, that's way better than I was playing Candy Crush in between periods and I threw some ideas down on paper and then threw it at you. Jude says, I, I, I labored on this. Look back at Malachi when we studied through that. How, what's he say at the beginning? The burden of the Lord is upon me. Jude is saying, I gave all diligence. There was nothing more important than making sure I wrote unto you about the common salvation. That I wrote unto you about the ungodliness and and a warning. And and we'll see that his book, this short book, spans a great many Old Testament events. It covers a lot of ground. And he gave all diligence to do that, to cover those things. Later, he says, it was needful for me to write unto you. There's the idea of a burden. There's the idea of a fulfillment for me to write this letter It was needful. It was a fulfillment for me. I had to do this. There are certain other evidences that we'll see as we go through the book, but again, uh, love is conveyed in his title for them. Love is conveyed in his title for God. Love is conveyed in his addressing of them and in his addressing of why he wrote this letter. The Holy Spirit directed his mind and gave him a burden to write this letter. All godly writers should write out of a, from a place of love. Uh, I, t- I tell you, it's probably one of the greatest challenges I've seen since becoming editor of the banner is not just finding ways to fill a 24-page paper, but trying to, at times, understand why the writer felt we needed to print this article. What is their motivation? I, I can't get inside their heads and understand their hearts, but you can read in a lot of writers' writings whether or not this is coming from love for God's people, for God himself, for godly instruction, or if they're just trying to straighten somebody out. Go look at some old examiners, beloved. It's not above our writers, myself included, to have a desire to do that. But godly instruction is received when written out of love. And that should be our intent. If you're writing to one another, if I'm writing to you, or if we're sharing the writings of others in the paper itself. Uh, there's need for writings of instruction, writings of doctrine, and there's two huge doctrines we'll get to later in Jude that he does cover. And the Lord led him to do that with his intentional writing of love. This is the best that we can hope for when witnessing of Christ, that it be delivered in love and received in kind. I think what stops many of us from Witnessing as we should is the fear of being rejected. The, the fear of maybe putting out there our hearts, our love, maybe that thing that we are most passionate about, and it should be, and then having somebody spit upon it and say that it is of no value. Understand that in, earlier in your life, if you were here and born again, it was of no value to you until the Lord made it to be so. But they have to hear it. The general call has to go out for it to ever be made effectual. We must hear the gospel. It's hard to not be held back by that fear. But you're set free by this truth. You're not slave to that fear anymore. Think of the times that Jude's writing in. None of us, I assure you, have ever experienced the times in which Jude is writing in. Not just Jude as the writer, man, if it, if it gets back that he's the one that wrote this and where he's at and sort of thing, but to those who are receiving it, think of the times they're experiencing. Think of what they're going through. The next knock on the door could be the one who's going to rip you out of your house because of what you believe and really make you pay for it. I don't, I don't want to get into the gruesome details of that in this particular study, but it wasn't a, a slap on the wrist to say the least. In this third verse, we see Jude use the word exhort, which is a word we see often throughout Scripture. However, here it is the verb form of the noun paraclete, which gives us a direct uh, direct connective tissue to the Holy Spirit. It's not simply uh, giving an exhortation. He is directly connecting the Holy Spirit to this exhorting that he's speaking of. Uh, a paraclete, whenever we see it throughout Scripture, is one called alongside to help a comfort, if you will. And again, that was to be the purpose of his letter, to come alongside and help those Christians receiving it, reading it, to be an encouragement. The the tracts that we passed out, our hope should be that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will be a paraclete, a comfort that comes alongside those that read it, a help unto them. Not that they go back and say, Ernie gave this to me, so Ernie loves me a great deal, but that they read through it and that they're somehow comforted or, or redirected by God, in a good way, and received in love. This brings us to the third point, which is, what was the main content of this letter? And these questions probably seem like obvious questions, but, but as you study the Bible, make sure you're asking these questions Again, you can forget that hermeneutic word if you'd like, but ask these questions. Every time you study the Bible, you get caught up in Isaiah 6 and and, and him being undone and what he's going through. Stop. Who's Isaiah? Everybody in the room is going to say, We know Isaiah. We know Isaiah real well. We all know Isaiah. Many of us can't spell it, it's got two A's. Who's Isaiah? Why is he writing this? Who is he writing to? Are these the the Jews in 2023 or the Israelites before Nebuchadnezzar or during Nebuchadnezzar? What's the purpose of his writing? Just to tell us he's undone? He was destroyed? What a wimp. We have to ask these questions in every book that we study because first use of the word today, discernment. We have to discern why it is God elected for this to be in the Bible. Why it is he has it before us today. And I don't give you that answer. Because why you're reading it could be different than why he has me reading it. How he's going to use it on me or for me or through me could be very different than how he's going to use it on or through or for you. You need to exercise discernment. So what was the main content of the letter? Jude diligently wrote unto them his own confession on a common salvation. Titus chapter 1 verse 4 says to Titus, Paul writing, Mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Brother Milburn wrote that it is common to all who fit the description in verse 1 and 2 of Jude, of our text, but not all men without exception. Paul writing again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the first four verses. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil and we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. It is common to Jew and Gentile alike as they or we all share a common need. What is that common need? We must be saved. We must be born again. We must be delivered. Eternal damnation awaits, not just because it's there, not just because it has to be used, but because I deserve it. Not because I'm a troubled youth, but because I'm totally depraved. Because as it says in Genesis, my imagination is only evil continually. Do we not battle dark thoughts? Do we not harbor ill feelings? Are we not envious? Are there any that say, I'd do better better with that thing? Boy, I should have had that thing. The human being I'm probably most jealous of of life is sitting right there I'm utterly wicked. I have to be saved or I will know hellfire. This isn't fear-mongering. This isn't even really hellfire and brimstone. I've got messages for that later. This is simply the truth. If you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of Christ, written in red in my Bible. The truth of what he came to do was to grant life, pave the way, and deliver the truth, which he did. This indicates that people of all races, nationalities, and cultures are saved by the same author of said salvation. Boy, it's really sad that in 2023, a white pastor saying that from a pulpit is still going to sound foreign to us. It it does, doesn't it? The same God who saves me is the only God who's ever saved a black man, the only God who's ever saved a Native American or an Indian. Uh, D.C. may not use that word. Cleveland may not use that word. I still use that word. They still use that word. He's the only God who's ever saved any human of any nationality, of any skin color, in any language, and they've only ever been saved by the hearing of the gospel. This is the confession of this book. This isn't one uh, a hopeful liberal trying to get the whole world to embrace one another. This is simply the truth of scripture. It breaks my heart that in most of our sister churches, we all look like this. One or two, three maybe that don't. What are we preaching differently? What are we afraid of? What are they afraid of? Because there's one God, one hope, one salvation. He did not go from camp to camp setting up different churches. He went to one earth and set up one church. This isn't a sermon of universalism. This isn't a sermon of the invisible church. Christ set up a real church. He was a real head and he didn't have to say, whatever your skin color, come unto me. He said, if ye are heavy burdened, overladen, come unto me and you will find rest. He said, if ye thirst. We're the ones that said, well, what if the black guy is thirsty? What if the short person is thirsty? What if the giants are thirsty? They'll drink a lot of water. And the answer was the same. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. This author of said salvation, he makes clear three very distinct things that are crucial. Faith in God and the gospel being number one. We see this in Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently is a word that Jude's already used in these first few verses as well. Jude knew him. Jude believed in him. Jude wrote of him in love. The second thing is repentance, which turns away from sin and turns to Jesus. This is why repentance is important. Because without repentance, you're going to keep running in your direction but you should be running in his. Listen to Dr. Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. There were present at that season some that told him of the uh, Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish." Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Salome fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This is one of my favorite places in Scripture because we, we tend to do like Job's friends a lot of times. That church doesn't have a pastor, must be some evil wicked sin. That woman doesn't have a husband, that man doesn't have a wife. Those two don't have any children. They never look happy. must be some great evil sin in their life. And Jesus points out, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. It's not some great evil sin in their life. It's sin in their life. And sin is in your life and my life. And unless we perish, except we, or or, or unless we repent, except you repent, we shall also likewise perish. You don't need a great evil wicked sin above all other sins to need to repent. You need but one. Some say unto themselves, well, I'm not that kind of sinner. Let's start there. Repent of the lie. Just repent. John and I were talking. He and I were raised Catholic. He's a lot of questions, and I'm glad for that. And beloved friends, if you're a regular visitor here, first-time watcher, whatever it might be, questions are good. Ask those questions. You're not going to get those answers unless you ask those questions. Why, why be baptized? What's the significance of all the way under submission, under the water, and sprinkling? Dousing? A light mist from one of them Cedar Point fans? Is that baptism? Ask those questions. I was telling them about uh, some experiences in temperance. It was an older couple. I'll tell this quickly. It was an older couple. It came every single Sunday. They, they, were, they had trouble making midweek, but they tried. But they came every single Sunday. And they said, Pastor, we want to join the church. That process, in case you've never heard it, usually involves sitting down, talking about whether they've ever been baptized before, where they were baptized before, and then usually results in if they were baptized somewhere else, what kind of baptism was it? Because as you might recall, when I first got here, there are certain elements that have to be in place. The proper authority... Has to be a true church of the Lord. It doesn't have to have all the right words, but they have to be uh, fitting the description the Bible has for what the church is like. They have to be a proper candidate. This is not one who's almost saved that just needs to take a bath. This is one who is saved that is yearning to be faithful unto God and join the church. So the proper authority, the proper candidate, and the proper mode. Okay, what was your baptism? Well, they had a little bowl of water, and they flashed in my eyes. That's not the proper mode. We're going to have to rebaptize you. Ask the question that's on your heart, beloved friend. Well, that's ridiculous. Let's do some study of how we got to be called Baptists to begin with. We hold true to it. It's a landmark of what we believe. Our baptism needs to look like John's baptism, because that's how we've been instructed. All the way under Christ Jesus went when John the Baptist baptized him. If it was good enough for Christ, it's good enough for me. And if any of those three things aren't there, I'll start filling the tub. We'll start heating the water with the authority of the church. And their blessing we will get you baptized. This couple said, okay, when do you want to do it? Now, that one didn't have a heater, but it did take... Nearly three days to fill. And I put in the time, and they never came. They never answered the phone again. They never came to the door when I knocked. We never saw them again. And John said, Why? Because to a common man, that seems a little ridiculous. You, you're already saved. Why wouldn't you submit? That's the problem, right? That submission part. It's not the embarrassment or the shame of getting wet. I don't really, after this long, believe that it's the embarrassment or shame that they feel duped, that they got the wrong baptism before, or that they're going through all of this again. My own son's gone through it twice. He may end up having to do it again. If it's not a true profession, if he wasn't truly saved, he will go through it again. Lord willing. I think it comes down to, and he made this point we're not willing to submit. We're not willing to stand and tote the banner, and say that this is what I believe and stand for because then we're a city on a hill. Then we're light exposed. You've got to repent. You've got to come away from the direction you're headed in. Come away from your... Because what's down the road of your direction is shame, is fear, is doubt. But if you're over heavy laden and burdened, he's got rest. If you're thirsty, he's got drink. Come unto me. About face, dear soldier. Pursue after Christ Jesus. Thirdly, the confession of faith in Christ, the Son of God. Acts 8, verses 35-38 says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began to preach unto the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus Christ. The eunuch was already studying the word of God before the Spirit led Philip to go unto him. But he preached unto him Jesus, not from a different book, not from a different place. He didn't say, close that thing. You don't need that KJV. Let me tell you. No, he preached from where he was at. And he preached Jesus. How hard is that preacher? He's in every book. Uh, Even Esther, where he's not named, he's not mentioned, he's there. It's not hard. The hard part is dying unto yourself and opening this book. The hard part is asking the questions. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Proper candidate. Philip, I should point out, is, a, is not a eunuch. He's a, a deacon with the authority of the church. Proper authority. The eunuch says... I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is his confession. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, proper method. And we can argue what those words mean if you'd like later. But it says both Philip and the eunuch went into that water, and he baptized them. Now, I was sprinkled as a Catholic. I don't think that priest got wet. And not much of me, and I was a baby. How was I a proper candidate? You're going you're to fight me on this later, but that's fine. How was I a proper candidate? Did I cry the right way to convince everyone that I was repentant? Are you born again? Ah! No, beloved. Elements were missing. We'll leave Rome alone for a minute because they don't fit the third one either. But that's not baptiz- baptism. That's not what's illustrated by the scriptures. Consider Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 9. Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of man, which is of faith, rather, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend unto heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What does baptism picture? It hadn't had one in a while. So as a refresher, baptism pictures this very thing. Christ Jesus actually dying, being fully buried, and us rising again out of the waters with Christ Jesus. Baptism inherently is not just a Baptist thing, and we aren't the only one that do the proper mode either. But it is a sign of faith, it is strong support of your confession, it is the beginning of your stand. Admittedly, it's not a perfect stance, because none of us will ever be sinlessly perfect. But it is the beginning of saying, I want to be teachable. I want to follow thee. Jacob, as we've been studying on Wednesday, still tried to do his own thing for 20 years, after a vision. And we would still say, boy, if I had that vision, I wouldn't be so unfaithful. I'd have done everything different than Jacob did. No, you wouldn't have. You might have done it worse. You might have come away from Laban with three wives, five wives, and so on. You may never have come away from Laban at all. It is not common in price, this salvation. The price for salvation could not have come at a greater cost. It was the blood of the spotless, blemish-free lamb, Jesus Christ. It is not, the, it is not common as it can be found down any random alley. It is not common in that it can be purchased at any random market, which it seems like soon will have $2 generals and neither one of them will have this salvation. And I checked. It's exactly one mile apart. I don't, I don't know why we're getting that. Maybe you all can explain that to me later. It is not common in that it is frequently given to all. In fact, nothing about salvation is common at all. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves which, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, there's many times which I've said, Can you do what Jesus did? Here's one of them. Can you do that? Can you appear before God himself on behalf of the living? On behalf of the lost? It goes on. Nor yet that ye, that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered the holy place, every year with blood of others, just simply rolling forward that sin debt. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that looked for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Those priests that uh, did those blood sacrifice were rolling the sin debt forward until the next offering. And what were they rolling it forward to? The cross. And we do the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the cross, looking back to that one sacrifice that was made for our sins. Perfect sacrifice offered by a perfect high priest. Who was it? Pontius Pilate? No. Jesus said that God hath the power to deliver me here. You have no power. Jesus took himself to that cross. Jesus offered himself on that cross, and it was Jesus who gave up the ghost, proclaiming, It is finished. Our only part was making it so expensive with our own sin. Jude is writing to come alongside his readers and encourage them by calling to remembrance the New Testament system of doctrine. Well, here we go. Preachers going to talk doctrine. You know what doctrine is? You know what the doctrine is that's being spoken of throughout the New Testament? Faith. Faith. Now, some may now no longer like faith because they hate the word doctrine so badly. But this is what every writer in the New Testament is speaking of faith, i.e. believing in that Christ who was lifted up for our healing. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus during that late night meeting they had in John 3. I must be lifted up. I must be exalted. We read it in an earlier text today already that he was exalted by God the Father, It was recognized, and like Moses with the brazen serpent, when we look upon him and believe that he is, we are healed. And that is doctrine. That is faith. Remember, his prayer, prayer, Jude's prayer, was that they would earnestly contend for that doctrine, that they would earnestly contend for the faith. Seeing then what this faith is, let us be reminded again that the word contend means to agonize or strive for. Oh, we're so close to the end, so we're gonna to have to keep pushing through here. Luke thirteen, twenty four, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. Paul references this same fortitude in his writing to the Philippians. Philippians 1:27. stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel. Milburn wrote that it signifies the utmost effort of the will through, never and, uh, uh, through, through nerve, I misquote your former pastor, through nerve and muscle, to overcome all competitors. The compound word is to fight standing upon a thing which is assaulted, in which the adversary desires to take away. Vigorous defense of the truth and positive attack on error is the duty of every Christian. Indifference to error is a sign of liberalism. Consider that for a moment. Standing upon a thing which is ever assaulted, This is one standing in the light. This is one standing unashamed of his Savior, his Master, his Lord. Beloved, what we are fighting for has split homes. It is a very serious matter, and we have been very lackadaisical in our calling. Hebrews 4:11 and 12, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Remember that straight gate that I just mentioned, that gate was Christ. And we talked about a month ago about gates being named after the transaction that occurred at them. When you're looking at a gate of a city, So this is the afflicted gate. This is Christ Jesus. This is the gate we stand at. We live by. And everyone knows it's an afflicted gate. Everyone knows this gate had a great cost. Everyone knows you have a message and they don't want to hear it. The Bible, Old Testament, New Testament is complete. Think of that for a moment. The Lord did not provide his people. An incomplete thesis of what he was doing. Everything was fulfilled. It is complete. We have but one doctrine before us, and that is faith. Repent and believe, as they say. There's no need for new prophets. Oh, in 2023, certainly that wouldn't happen. Right up the road on Highway 45 from where I'm at, we have that very thing no new prophets, no new seers, no new revelators, no new interpreters or scribes. True faith has all it needs to abide. This faith was once delivered to the saints, not given to popes, priests, councils, or bishops to interpret, but given directly to the saints of God. Faith is a shield, as we saw in Ephesians 6, 14 through 20. Would you give your shield to someone else? I'm going to hold this shield for you. You're going to be good and protect it. You're going to douse it in water for those fiery darts? Oh, yeah. You're going to be fine. I'm going to take good care of you. You're going to treat this shield like I would? You're going to get up before me and ever be ever ready? Oh, yeah. You should not surely die. As we taught recently... It is our responsibility to ensure our shields have been soaked in the word and prepared for Satan's fiery darts that are surely in the air already, hurtling their way, making their way through the breezes for your very heart, for your testimony to be burned up. We will look next time at the certain condemned creepers that Jude speaks of next. Pray for this book. Pray that this book will make a difference in your heart, that it will have an impact on us. Pray that we're not going to walk away from this building the same today, that the Lord will make a, a way for you, set you free by the truth.